What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? My name is Gabriel Wilkins, and welcome to the first official episode of the State of Gabe podcast, a platform where each week I'll strive to let you inside my mind and share some of my personal and unfiltered thoughts in regards to some of the grandest storylines as well as matters that are currently trending around the world of sports and entertainment. However, before we do that, let me get into the reason as to why I'm partaking in this endeavor real quickly prior to getting into the following topics of discussion for this week. For those who know me personally are familiar with my work, you may have either come across me via Twitter, now known as X, through my time starting out in the industry, be it with hosting or playing in roles alongside of others on shows that pertain to basketball and Radio DePaul Sports, beside my good friend and prep sports reporter in Michigan by the name of Brendan Welper during my college days, or as a writer when it came to covering the latter portion of the James Harden era with the Rockets out in Houston, include the rest of the NBA for Hoops Habit as part of the fan-sided network, including War Media in recent times, as I want to thank Cal Means, Drew Stevens, Joshua M. Hicks, Chris Pennant, and Saul Rodriguez for providing me with the platform to talk on the games and sports that have not only come to define my existence, but the opportunity to continue on in an industry that, to put it bluntly, has been a tough one to crack and often leaves me wondering why I ever cared to get into it in the first place as naive young adult who was and still is trying to find my niche on an array of levels, particularly during the onset of the pandemic a few years ago as I was ready to do away with it entirely and move on. Yet after pondering on countless conversations with past colleagues of mine over the years in my private time and working beside countless people, I started to come to the full realization that I was truly in need of a place where I could speak on the games that often keep me up until the late hours of the night and early mornings unceasingly. A place where I wasn't boxed in and speaking exclusively on the sport and figures that you become accustomed to hearing me speak on consistently time and time again. And while that isn't the fault of anyone else that I've worked with or beside and only my own, I do believe that I owe it to myself as I enter a new decade in my life to embark on an endeavor that those close to me have begged me to pursue over the past several years. Everywhere I've gone from the time I was a child, I've always been bombarded with questions from family and friends about sports topics so much that even though I strive to try my best to answer them all, it can quietly drive me insane at times, especially more so as I've gotten older, and my patience, while a virtue, can at times wear thin in moments where it's tested. And while I didn't care to ever gather nor understand why this is in the beginning, I truly do now. Unlike most people who utilize an array of personal hobbies to connect with others, sports has always been the primary source that has allowed me to develop rapports with most people, be it in my given community, or outside of it during my daily excursions, which oftentimes I take alone for the sake of mental peace these days, 
as I enjoyed the art of collaboration and giving to the craft so much to where I found myself assisting others way more than me at times over the last year. But now the time has come for me to use my voice and pull back the curtain for once and for all. And speaking over the microphone on current events allows me to do just that, not only as a form of therapy, but to also provide you as the viewer with the insight that you have asked me to provide you with since the beginning all along. And while I might have some guests or two down the road from time to time in future episodes, don't you think that the title of the show should at least give you a hint in regards to what's to come? Besides, if it's to be in life, isn't it up to me in the first place or you as the viewer when it pertains to you? I say all of that to stress the importance of not only betting on but also investing heavily into yourself. So now it's time for me to practice what I'm preaching and get the business, beginning with the discussion of a man who is all about that and some when it comes to his talents on the basketball court as well as an artist. Some know him as Damian Lillard, while others may know him by his rap name, Dame Dollar. Just recently dropped an album, by the way, called Don Dollar. Might want to check that out. It's one of the coolest or, you know, interesting tapes that I've heard thus far this year in the rap game. But during the mid part of this week, ESPN NBA insider Adrian Wojnarowski dropped the Wolves bomb across social media, informing us with less than a week before the opening of training camp in the NBA that the Portland Trailblazers are trading Damian Lillard to the Milwaukee Bucks as part of a three-team deal as the five-time All-NBA team recipient and seven-time All-Star guard, is now set to join forces beside Giannis Antetokounmpo in the Cream City. Portland will receive Drew Holiday, DeAndre Ayton, and Tamari Kamara alongside Milwaukee's 2029 unprotected first-round draft pick and unprotected swap rights in 2028 and 2030, while the Suns obtain Yusuf Nurkic, Grayson Allen, Nasir Little, and Keon Johnson to finalize the package. When I first saw this trade, as I'm based out of Chicago, my immediate reaction to myself was, man, I, I can't wait to touch down in Milwaukee this NBA season. For those who don't know, Chicago's only 90 minutes north of Milwaukee. And I go to a lot of games at the Pfizer, but at least two to three games a year I try to at Pfizer since they built the arena it's a real nice arena and I I love the, the hospitality that they show there and everything and it's always been first class treatment over there as far as I'm concerned when I go to games and it's it's a very inviting environment for visitors who had a chance to go if you've never been you should check it out for yourself but man even though Dame didn't get his ultimate wish to team up with Jimmy Butler down in Miami I feel as though he's received the best consolation prize with this deal. And I also think that it helps the Bucks in their quest to keep Giannis Antetokounmpo, who expressed a lot of thoughts when it came to his future throughout the summer, as well as pondered over his long-term future out in Milwaukee. Very happy. I think it makes him very happy, man. How could it not? I mean... John Horse has done a hell of a job over there 
And it goes to show you, if you're a young superstar in this league, how speaking your mind and demanding that these executives do their job to the best of their ability to ensure that you're competing to win championships, how, you know, it, it matters, man. You know, because when you don't speak, like they say, closed mouths get fed, or uh, don't get fed, rather. And you 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 just got to do it, man. You, you, you got to speak up. And, and kudos to Giannis for doing it. I mean, we're talking about a parent that if they mesh well, being Dame and Giannis, they can instantly become one of the top duos, if not the best duo in the league. Is Milwaukee not only bolsters their offense, I think, with this move, they also acquire a guard who can make life so much easier on Giannis, who had to carry a significant load over the course of last season. And while the deal may have caught a lot of people by surprise, I'm personally not shocked by it, considering the way that the Bucks went down in last year's playoffs, combined with Giannis placing demands on the front office to improve and acquire another star piece. You know, like I said, closed mouths don't get fed. Giannis is a guy who I'm sure after getting knocked out in round one of last year's playoffs at the hands of the defending Eastern Conference champion, Miami Heat, he he, he contemplated about a lot of shit. And as a result of that, John Horst had to, to take what he was saying in his New York Times article, as well as on podcasts left and right, talking with reporters to heart. And I like the way that Milwaukee went about acquiring Dame lurking from behind the shadows because you never, ever heard the Bucks link to Lillard much at all throughout the summer after he had requested for the Blazers to trade him. We all know that Dame wanted to go to Miami. We saw teams such as the Philadelphia 76ers and the Chicago Bulls linked to him, but I never really bought much into that. And I remember seeing a report a couple of weeks before this went down where they said a mystery team in the Eastern Conference was exploring the possibility of a Damian Lillard trade. And I said it on my Twitter account where I kind of hinted at it that that mystery team has to be Milwaukee. It has to be. You know, you, you finish with the, the best record in the league a season ago, and you don't get past the first round. I mean, that, that's embarrassing. And anybody who was watching that five-game series between the Bucks and the Heat, especially after Giannis went down in game one, you – could tell just looking at the Bucks' offense that it was going to be hard to come by points for them. Granted, some people are going to question how the loss of Holiday will affect Milwaukee's defense, as I know he was a fan favorite there who was their best point of attack defender. However, they do have some young pieces, you know, such as a Marjan Bochamp at the two spot. And the rookie out of UConn, Andre Jackson Jr., who can fill in. And I do believe that they'll make a move or two at the trade deadline to short things up a bit on that end prior to playoff time. But for the first time in Dame's career, man, he's going to be playing alongside an all-world talent in Giannis, 
who if the two of them can find ways to play off of the ball alongside of each other, can greatly benefit from one another's presence. Giannis can easily kick it out to Dame as soon as he gets a loose rebound and run the lanes, allowing Dame to set him up when they got numbers in transition. While Dame can play off the ball, coming off of drag screens and the like, to allow Giannis to set him up on open threes from anywhere on the floor when Giannis is seeking to drive and attack in the paint, forcing opponents or opposing defenders, rather, to collapse in the paint. And not even to mention the pick and roll game, man. It's going to be very scary. Remember when Milwaukee won the title a couple years ago, their best pick and roll combination was between Chris Middleton and Giannis. Now you have all three of those guys together. And we talk about how Giannis is going to benefit from Dame's presence. A guy like Chris Middleton can benefit greatly from Dame's presence too, especially at this point in his career as he's in his early 30s, has struggled with some knee issues. He doesn't have to do as much. As long as Chris could give him the energy that they need on the defensive end of the floor, knocking down, catching shoot looks when he gets them, and, and, and making plays when plays break down, I think this Buck squad is going to be in great shape. And I expect this Buck squad to have a, a top five offense with, with Damian Lillard aboard. And it's nice to see a team like the Bucks, who I feel like was under tight constraints, acting like a, a big market franchise, man. It's very nice to see that because you don't see that too often from these small market franchises going big or making big-time moves when they need to, especially, like I said, with the way last year ended. In some ways, you could say that the Bucks are moving more like a big market team than – a team that resides in my city in the Chicago Bulls. Not to throw shots at them, but let's call it for what it is. They had a chance, and they didn't get them. Meanwhile, Milwaukee did. And kudos to, to Damian Lillard and his agent, Aaron Goodwin, for finding a way to keep their options open, despite Miami being the primary destination. It was said by Mark J. Spears of ESPN that Aaron Goodwin had privately reached out to the Bucks and the Nets, letting them know that if a deal wasn't able to shake through with Miami, that they would that Damian Lillard rather would be open to going to one of those destinations. I feel like he ended up in the best spot between those three franchises with the Milwaukee Bucks right now, who will be a major player not only in the Eastern Conference with this move, but potentially an NBA championship. Meanwhile, looking at it from Portland's side of things, how about DeAndre Ayton getting a fresh start beside a young, fun backcourt with playmakers such as Ann Simons, Shade and Sharp, and the number two overall pick in this year's NBA draft, Scoot Henderson, who I'm sure – will enjoy having the chance to play beside a big man who will have a ton to prove after going from a defensive-minded rim roller who shoots the ball at an efficient clip to being sporadically used within Phoenix's offensive attack under head coach Monty Williams prior to his departure in Detroit. The addition of Drew Holiday 
I think if they are able to retain him in training camp going at least into the regular season and halfway through it going up into the trade deadline, a guy like Drew Holiday could potentially serve as a, as a very nice mentor for the young guys in that locker room, such as Scoot, as well as Shade and Sharp, who will be entering his second season out of Kentucky. You know, that, that that it's always key to have those vets in the locker room, man, for these guys. And he's been there and done that. And I know you're going to see his name linked to a lot of places because I do believe that the Blazers will seek to use a veteran piece like Drew Holiday in an effort to acquire more young talent on a team that, albeit Dame is leaving after being there for 10-plus years, you know, they like they they got a they got a little foundation that they can work with, I think, with with, with their with their young core. And if those guys can grow and develop together, maybe they could get back to where they once were alongside of Dane with CJ McCollum and, and become a contender in the West. But right now, they're they're a team that's on the rise. I, but I I like the pieces that they have. They they won't be a team that you can just expect getting an easy win off of on a night-to-night basis. I think they're going to compete, and I think they're going to be very fun to watch under Chauncey Billups there, who will actually get a chance to do some coaching and implement what he knows to a very young roster that's going to need him to do it. Meanwhile, for the Suns, I think this move helps them basically just clear up cap space and it provides Phoenix with further depth beside their star trio and Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, and Bradley Beal, who they acquired from Washington at the top of this summer. Yersef Nurkic, he's a guy, don't get me wrong, he struggles defensively out on the perimeter. I don't know how he's going to hold up come playoff time when guards are hunting him down on pick and rolls and – in turn, he has to come out and play when isolated. I don't know how he's going to hold up there. But what I do like about this move for Phoenix is they got some girth in the interior, something that they didn't have last year when they matched up with Denver in the conference semifinals. And I think that's why you saw a guy like DeAndre Ayton struggle so much with a Nikola Jokic because – Physically, he just was outmatched, and in turn, he got into so much foul trouble to the point where he became damn near unplayable. And you you saw him really not getting extended minutes late down the stretch of games in that six-game series in which Denver ended up winning en route to capturing a championship a season ago. So I, I, I like that move. I, I like the Grayson Allen pickup. And Nasir Little gives them a versatile wing defender. And all they really need Yersef Nurkic to do, in my opinion, is just win the battles on the glass. If he can do that, that that'll be great. And, and also setting screens to free up the shooters, such as the guys I named in the big three, Durant, Booker, and Beal. You know, Nurkic was sixth in the league last year with 4.4 screen assists per game. And I think that number is going to increase given his new surroundings down in the desert alongside of those three 
plus other guys such as Eric Gordon, a guy that I'm very familiar with during his days in Houston, who you know, when he when he's on, you know, he's usually making things happen from the perimeter. So I I, I like the pickup of Nurkic. I don't think it's bad, but I I am curious to see how Frank Vogel plays with his starting five and tinkers with it, especially as we get in the thick of the season, like post-trade deadline, as well as the playoffs. I could see a lot of small ball being played by the Suns where they're utilizing Durant at the five more than they utilize Nurkic there. But depending on a matchup and should they face off against Denver at any point in the Western Conference, Nurkic could, could be a guy that at least bangs with Jokic and that's what they're going to need. He's more than likely going to be the inside man in regards to who wins the job for Phoenix as the starting center. And if so, you know, they got a rim protector. He can play back and drop coverage. And that's a system that Vogel has utilized with great success in previous years and in tenors and stops that he's had in Indiana as well as L.A. with the Lakers. And one thing that's starting to emerge with Nurkic is his three ball. You know, he shot 36% from deep last year, took a a little bit over two attempts a game, and he's going to get more of those looks with the offensive attention that you know a Kevin Durant and a Devin Booker and a Bradley Beal is going to draw. And, you know, Grayson Allen, he's a reliable role player. You know he's a a knockdown shooter, underrated playmaker, and he could be a guy that they use as a quasi-like point guard and asked to create on a Sun squad that really lacks a true point guard. And I'm pretty sure you're going to see a lot of pick and rolls where he might be in a two-man game with Devin Booker or whatnot. So I'm interested to see how that all works out, but For Phoenix, this seems more like a a clearing cap move. We know that this is going to be a team that is spending a a ton of money with their new owner and Matt Isbia down there. And and James Jones running the show is the general manager in the front office. So I'm excited to see what this looks like. But clearly, we know that Milwaukee is the, the big winner of this deal. I definitely think that they're a top three team in the Eastern Conference on paper. And I don't know if I put them ahead of Boston just yet or right now, but from my vantage point and the way I see it, they're not that far off. And I'm eager to see that matchup between those two teams the first time they take the floor against one another. Hopefully all parties and and key contributors are healthy in that matchup. And, of course, we don't know what's going to happen with Malcolm Brogdon at this time, who has been said to be requested a trade out of Boston recently um, due to some, you know, issues between him and the front office. So it remains to be seen. But moving away from the breaking news surrounding Damian Lillard in the NBA to discuss a person you might have become familiar with as a player gracing the NFL gridirons or diamond during his baseball days in the 1990s or across your TV screens during the early part of your lives via commercials and his work in the media realm over the last couple of decades. But now we're seeing the Pro Football 
Hall of Fame cornerback Deion Sanders making an impact on the lives of young athletes with the same aspirations that he once had as the head football coach at the University of Colorado in Boulder, doing so in the manner that you're accustomed to seeing him do it in grand fashion, taking over a program that only boasted one long win a season ago, to totally transforming it upside down and for the better over the last several months with the help of his son under center at quarterback in Shador Sanders and the Shohei Otani figure of college football, as I call him, Travis Hunter, as the Buffaloes have already surpassed their win total from a season ago, winning three of their first four games to open up the season on the way to gaining national attention from the likes of many for the first time since the early 1990s, as primetime has bought that and more to not only Colorado's athletic department in the university itself, but the sport of college football to the point where you're seeing those who hardly ever cared to watch the action on Saturdays or once did coming up as kids, now starting to return back to it. And I understand it. You know, everybody loves a winner, right? Everybody loves a good story as much as the gossip columns and controversy are what sells in this country, among others, unfortunately, if you're someone that values positivity and could care less for dramatic chaos. But for every great figure in life, in the world of sports is no different. You're always going to have your fair share of detractors when you're seeking to do things in a manner not akin to the establishment within your chosen profession. And you do so at a high level out of the gate, especially as a black man. And while those who operate in the same skin as Prime can attest to this, even if we're not operating on the same playing fields as he is in life, I pray that the fans of what's currently taking shape with his football program out there in the Rocky Mountains are able to truly grasp and understand that after what all transpired this past weekend out in Eugene, Oregon. For those who aren't privy to what's trending across the social media verse, you had Oregon head coach Dan Lanning shown on the cameras giving a pregame locker room talk, pumping his guys up, prior to this showdown against Colorado saying that the Cinderella story is over and following it up by adding that they're fighting for clicks. We're fighting for wins. And while he never mentioned primetime or Colorado's name directly in that speech, I think we all knew who he was referring to when he made that remark. So much so that it pissed a lot of the people off that tuned in a few days ago who would see the Ducks smack the Buffaloes in the 36-point route and also shock some in a battle between two unbeaten teams entering one of the more highly anticipated matchups several days ago. Now, before I get into Landon's remarks prior to the game, as well as his comments following the first half as well as some of the shit he pulled in the contest, where he clearly let it be known that it was personal. I want to say to those who were surprised by the results on the scoreboard that you got to understand that Rome wasn't always built in a day. For those who are new to college football or just getting back privy to the game in general, you have to understand that this is a game that is won and lost in the trenches. 
Oregon, you know, they, they both one of the best front sevens in the nation. And if you've really been watching these games and you know that Colorado, while impressive on the outside margins, at the wide receiver and the running back in the quarterback position with Shadura handling things under center, they have a ton of work to do as far as I'm concerned on the offensive line. Even in games such as when they knocked off TCU on the road to open up the season, they've oftentimes beat themselves committing unforced errors, which lead to a ton of penalties for them that's caused them to lose key yardage on drives where they had chances to score, which as a result has cost them points. And it's also at times allowed Shadur to get pressured heavily and sacked when dropping back in the pocket as well. And the same thing can be applied when it comes to the front seven on the defensive line. And there are tough times when it came to trying to apply pressure on the Oregon's quarterback, Bo Nix, as well as trying to, you know, stop that run game of the Ducks. And they were able to overcome that as a byproduct of the competition that they had faced, not being up to par more than them combined with the belief instilled in them from Prime himself. But you should have known that this matchup was going to be different. You know, no pun intended towards Prime program, but did you notice any camera footage leaking out from practices leading up to the showdown with the Ducks compared to previous weeks? I mean, did you see Prime or anyone on the team during interviews taking questions on shit that didn't pertain to the game? No. You didn't see it. And that alone should have let you know that this matchup was different because they knew that this game in conjunction with the matchup set to take place this weekend against another Pac-12 opponent in USC led by reigning Heisman Trophy winner and projected number one pick Caleb Williams was going to truly show them how they stacked up with the best of the best not only within their conference, but the country. And while Dion and Colorado, they're going to have a ton to go back to the drawing board with as far as ways to improve and get better. Those who know Prime and are truly paying attention, they know that his chance is going to come again to show and prove. With way more talent on both sides of the ball to show for it, once he gets the chance to go back on a recruiting trail, is you can bet on that with him now having officially settled into things at Colorado after his departure from Jackson State this past winter. Like, don't don't trip on that. Colorado, you know, they, they could win three to five more games this season, and the year would still be a success thanks to the buzz and the overall revenue that Prime has generated, not only just for the city of Boulder, but the Colorado athletic program, which in turn is only going to grant them a beautiful runway to take off next year in a season where many Neon Dion fans, including myself, we should really anticipate Shador returning to school as opposed to declaring for the draft, something in which Dion has been openly stating that Shador is going to do is having Travis Hunter beside him with a plethora of other weapons on both sides of the ball will only make the program more intriguing to watch on Saturdays in the fall. And I want those who didn't watch the game to keep in mind that Travis Hunter wasn't even active against Oregon. He was out due to suffering a a lacerated liver off of a cheap shot that was thrown by Colorado State safety the previous week. 
So sometimes you have to go through things like these in order to see what your program needs. And, and kudos to Prime for, for taking things in stride and also not running from what he referred to as a butt kicking in his post-game press conference without having to sacrifice any of the bravado that we've always known him to possess. And Jim, you know, just, just to keep things in perspective, like Jim Harbaugh, when he was in Michigan, or he's still at Michigan, but when he started out at Michigan, he didn't got the Wolverines to the college football playoff in year one, but he did help to reset the standard in Ann Arbor with a 10-3 and record that year. And now look at where that program is right now in the Big Ten. The same can be applied to the likes of other big-time head coaches, such as Nick Saban at Alabama and Urban Meyer during his tenors at Florida and Ohio State. But for Dan Lennon, I just want my man to keep the same energy. I don't take the remarks that he made during his pregame locker room speech. Personally, great coaches are always going to find a way to not only make sure that players are ready for battle, but that they know how to also motivate their guys just enough to give them that added edge so that when they take the field, they know you mean business. However, when he said that Colorado was fighting for clicks and that they're fighting for wins, that one took me aback a little bit. Because when you said it, who was in the room with you? The cameras. And what do the cameras help you to create? Footage, right? Which in turn creates what? Clicks on the net. The same type of clicks you're salty that Colorado is getting because you feel as if it takes attention away from what you're doing when in reality it only helps to bring more attention not only to the game of college football but your program. Now, the last time that I checked, the program that you're coaching values attention and went all the way out for it so much to where Nike went about creating a special dunk vapor edge cleat that goes about changing colors exclusively for Oregon Showdown to sport against none other than who else? Primetime's Colorado squad. Shout out to Phil Knight, by the way. You know, I do the same thing for my alma mater, too, if I own the Swoosh brand. And he sure as hell makes sure that the Ducks have, you know, the best of the best as far as the uniform combinations go. For those who are no strangers to college football, you know what I'm talking about. Yet, despite all of it, you know, that, that great program over the last 20 plus years in Eugene has yet to capture a national title. Despite getting to a couple within that time span with great players. That have graced NFL fields on Sundays. You know, that program that you said hasn't won anything since their time in the Pac-12. While that is true, at least they have one of those in their facility. Now, whether Dan Lanning brings one to Eugene, that remains to be seen. But I will say this much. I'm sure as hell going to keep track of how the rest of their season goes. Especially when the likes of top teams in their conference, such as Washington a few weeks from now followed by Washington State and Utah, all top 20 programs, by the way, is of this recording. And I believe all of them are also within the top 10 because I, I saw somewhere where the Pac-12, the Pac they have about like four of their schools or several schools, rather, within the top 10 for the first time ever in the history of the conference. 
which is a big deal, you know. So salute to the Pac-12 and, and the good football that's coming out from that West Coast. But although I don't think, you, you know, I, I don't, I don't think without them having faced Colorado, like, like you, you don't, you don't get this attention, man. Without the prime effect, I'm sorry. And back to the main point, like, isn't that what college football coaches who are in the business of attracting premier talent? at the prep level and across the transfer portal should strive for? I thought that's what we were striving for. Like, from my recollection, clicks has always been the name of the game. And while I know plenty of black folks, you know, who were filming over Landon's remarks saying, we're not done yet, and I hope those people who have been watching every week are watching this week, right? Well, I'm here to tell you, like, please don't, don't take that personal. Do not take that personal as much as you do the plays when Lanning decided to call a fake punt on a fourth and short back all the way inside Oregon's own 17-yard line when the Ducks were up by 13 in the first half or the time when he called for the Ducks to go for it on fourth and goal in the second half despite being up by 35 points en route to a touchdown. If you watch the game, those are the two moments that should have stuck out to you more than Lanning's viral moments and I'm sure as hell that Dion told guys in that locker room who will be returning to Boulder next year to store that into their memory banks should these two programs meet up again. Because one thing when it comes to not only sports, but in the game of life, every dog has his day. Where as many wins as they may collect, they also got to take an ass whooping sometimes. Real folks understand this shit, and they possess the superb ability to take it on the chin, but most folks don't because they're too afraid to deal with the repercussions that come in any type of fashion. And if there's anyone who understands this in society, it's damn sure black folks. And while I know that we get tired of it, we also understand that heavy is the head that wears the crown and that this is the territory that it oftentimes comes with whenever we're in the center of the arena doing so in a manner that most aren't accustomed to. Now, you can say what you want about Prime and the way that he does things, but he didn't hide from the press like some who've been waiting to get their takes off due on a daily basis whenever shit hits the fan. The same class that he's always exhibited, even in spite of the controversy that he's faced throughout his career, is Prime is not has always had not only just an innate eye for the camera, but also an ability to speak with charisma and motivate the likes of many under his persona, which in turn is what attracts so many people, ranging from his celebrity peers, close confidants, and so many fans, as well as the press across the country to him and whatever he's tapped into, which is now college football. And... That's why you see ESPN's college game day in the building alongside of Fox's big noon kickoff crew in 60 minutes, not to mention the others. And if the average commoner that may despise him possess the aptitude to understand and communicate with people throughout their day-to-day walks in life, they'd be able to not only understand it, but at least see through it to where even if you didn't like it, you at least recognize why that is. I mean, Dion's told you that he's used the character that is primetime as a way to create a brand 
to not only just gain profit away from the field as much as he did when he was on it in an effort to feed his family. And, I mean, if you don't believe me, just go back and watch his Hall of Fame speech from over a decade ago where he talks about the sacrifices his mother made for him as a child. But, see, we overlook that shit, as we always do when it comes to one's rise to the top, right? Even despite the fact that he's using his stature to help assist the next generation on and off the field in the same sport that he once played at the highest level and did it exceptionally well while doing so with style and flair. I will say for those who find joy in this dope, to start saying what you really mean. And don't just seek to speak in cold talk, you know, across various channels saying shit like Oregon is taking a stand for all of us, which is hilarious to me. Please stand very firm on what it is that you're trying to say across on all fronts, though, if that's really how you feel. And state it explicitly with your chest if you have to do it. And that makes you feel good because one thing is for certain. That black man that you see donning the sunglasses on the sideline with the Jesus piece is not about to go silent. Whether he succeeds in this endeavor, he's taken up or happens to fall short. Nor should he. And neither will his supporters either. Because that's never been Dion's way. Nor will it ever fucking be. And you know why that is? It's due to the fact that without it, he would have never been able to be himself, which in turn provided him with the ability to succeed. Isn't that what the hell we all want to do in this life anyway? I mean, if not, then what's truly become the purpose of us existing, let alone trying to teach the next generation for it? Like, don't get upset at it. Because he doesn't fit what society under your confines has perceived to be the status quo in a sport that, like a lot of things in this country, need a tweak or two to go about creating the true change that folks often crave for in society, yet really don't know how to create because we don't work together. But I'm not going to go any further on that one. Don't, don't shoot me on that one. But as for Dan Landon, though, congratulations. You did what you were supposed to do. You entered the contest as a 21-point favorite prior to the kickoff. Just make sure that when Colorado moves to the Big 12 next season, you had an athletic director at Oregon set up a home-and-home series between the Ducks and the Buffs for at least the next couple of years. Because if you think that the prime we know is the only one who keeps receipts and that folks will stop tuning in to Colorado every week, you're going to be in for a rude awakening very soon. And if anything, you might be doing Oregon a huge favor by making them a part of your non-conference schedule the next few years if you're in the high-scale viewership ratings is this all marks only the beginning of what's to come. I mean, just let, let, let's think about it. Like, we saw the ratings with the Colorado State and Colorado game. It was the most streamed game, I believe, on ESPN among college football games within, like, the last several-plus years or so. 
based on the info and the data and the stats that came out on it. So, like, don't play yourself, Dan Lennon. Don't 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 play yourself. But I want to continue with the football talk, moving away from the college ranks to the NFL ranks to discuss a team that's in my city and is falling on extremely hard times. And that's the Chicago Bears. This past weekend, they lost their 13th straight game in a row at the hands of the Kansas City Chiefs by a score of 41 to 10. It was 34 to nothing at halftime. And I think a lot of Bears fans knew that the writing was on the wall. How could you not? You know, you you out there in Arrowhead at the home of the defending world champs, a team that has captured two Super Bowl championships within the last four seasons. Like, how could you not know what, what, what was coming in that second half? But I'm starting to recognize a trend when it comes to the Bears and Bears fans that I don't like. A trend that not only do I not like, makes me wonder who's watching games and who's not. Justin Fields, man. I know he has a lot that he needs to improve on, such as his awareness in the pocket, getting rid of the ball a little bit quicker than what he's been doing. But if we watch the All-22 tape, in the film, this team is atrocious on all three levels of the game, man. Starting out with the offense, watching the tape, I didn't see receivers creating separation. I didn't. I saw Darnell Wright, while for the most part, he had a nice day, have his welcome to the NFL moment, getting rolled up by all-pro defensive tackle Chris Jones. I also saw an offense who for the third week in a row refuses to utilize their vertical weapons at a high capacity. This team traded the number one overall pick in last year's draft to get DJ Moore. And they're not using him in the right way. But everybody wants to blame the quarterback. And at what point do Bears fans and observers truly recognize the problem? Because even if Justin Fields isn't the guy, right? We've been going through this same-ass cycle in the city of Chicago for fucking years. Every three to four years, you get a new quarterback with a new head coach that that quarterback in which you drafted or got off the free agency market never came in with. Everything is being done ass-backwards. Not to mention your defensive coordinator, Allen Williams, resigned 
last week, which now leaves Matt Eberflus to not only coach this team, but to serve as a defensive coordinator. Yet, Justin Fields has been out on the record openly stating the issues between him and the coaching staff, while also taking accountability, might I add. That's one thing I will give Justin Fields credit for. He's taking accountability, and I think he knows and understands and realizes that he has to be better moving forward if he wants to be the quarterback of the Chicago Bears long term. But these fans, man, I just want to know what are you guys watching? It's amazing how fickle some of you can be. It really is. Because this man last year became the third quarterback in NFL history to rush for over 1,000 yards. Joining Lamar Jackson, who did it in his MVP season, and Michael Vick when he was a member of the Atlanta Falcons. That's one of his greatest skills. However, you got Luke Getze, the offensive coordinator, trying to keep him solely based in the pocket. Dropping back his right foot as opposed to his left foot, which he which is his the normal foot in which he operates off of is his left foot when he's when he's going back, you know, when he's in the pocket. Like he he's operating off the right now. And in turn, it's slowing him down when it comes to his reads. You know, we, we look at the film and the first thing guys want to see or, or, or realize, well, a guy is open. Well, he might only be open for a split second. And if the footwork or the quarterback ain't right, how the hell he going to get the ball to the likes of a DJ Moore or, or Chase Claypool or Darnell Mooney, who through the first three weeks of the season, he's barely been involved in the Florida offense. How you going to do that? I need fans to start watching and paying attention to these games. Don't just talk about it. I understand you want to see good football on Sunday and that you watching this is a relief sometimes to get away from your bullshit job or the shit that, you know, you got going on with your family and all of that. I get it. But at the same time, please watch the games, man, and understand that they are taking – Justin Fields' greatest strength away. This was a guy who, when he was at Ohio State, had a 40-to-1 touchdown to interception ratio at one point in time. Went down as one of the most accurate passers in NCAA history. And yet, they can't find a way to make it work with him. And a lot of this is the byproduct of an organization and its ownership that does not possess a football mind. Because if Justin Fields wasn't the guy, then why would Ryan Pose, who had the number one overall pick in the draft last year, 
after the Bears finished last year with a 3-14 and record and ended the season on a 10-game losing streak prior to this season in which they've lost their first three. Why would, why would Ryan Pose not draft a quarterback? And I understand they have a first-round pick this year on top of Carolina's first-round draft pick, which is looking pretty fucking good right now. I get all of that. But, like, why, 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 wouldn't, they, why wouldn't they get a, a C.J. Shroud or uh, Bryce Young? And why wouldn't you, as a general manager, Ryan Pose, who I would I would take to be a savvy person on matters that pertain to the offensive line, considering the fact that you played the position, why wouldn't you seek to upgrade that position? I want Bears fans to think for a moment, man. You got a fifth-round draft pick out of Southern Utah by the name of Braxton Jones protecting Justin Fields' blindside. But yet you say you want to give Justin Fields the best chance to prove that he's the long-term starting quarterback of your organization. I, I I don't get it. And I also don't get these fans who sit up here and say that they ready to be done with Justin Fields after just three weeks. I understand that it looks horrible. I understand that this team isn't up to par, but don't just blame everything on Justin Fields. See, when I was a kid, even though I'm not a diehard Bears fan, I'll admit it. I'm just a fan of the game. I'm a fan of sport. But when I was a kid, I remember the Bears used to always keep a a, a top-of-the-line defense. And not only did they used to keep a top-of-the-line defense, they knew how to stop the run. And most importantly, they damn sure knew how to get off the field on third downs. And teams wasn't going to seek to go for it all the time on fourth and shorts. But you know why they're doing it now? Because of the soft-ass zone coverage that they play. If y'all really paid attention and studied the film in week three against Kansas City, Patrick Mahomes rarely if ever got blitzed when he was dropping back on pass plays. And with that zone, the Chiefs did what? They took advantage of openings in the middle. That's why guys like Kelsey was able to make big plays. Was she Rice, the rookie receiver? Marquez Valdez Scanlon had a big play. They got called back because the guard was holding. Like, this team is horrible on all three phases, but yet all the fan base is focused on in America is Justin Field. Make it make sense to me. Then you have people saying, well, we need a new quarterback. Caleb Williams. Let's go get Caleb Williams. Let's fire Matt Eberflus. Let's let's fire Lou Gessie. Now, I understand wanting to question the job security of Matt Eberflus and Lou Gessie. 
I totally get it. I think it's warranted through the first three games of this season. But do y'all know how many times the Bears have done this shit? And as a fan, aren't you tired of it? Because as a spectator and observer of it, I know I sure as hell am. I'm very tired of it. And I'm going to tell you why. Because as much as you want to make Justin Fields a scapegoat, the man you need to be calling out is George McCaskey, who told y'all a couple years ago that he don't know football, which is why he bought in a search firm that was ran by former coach GM Bill Polian, who was in his 80s, to find his GM. Now, he settled on Ryan Poles, who came from Kansas City. However, why you didn't allow Ryan Poles to go with his guy, being his head coach? Your search firm recommended to him to hire Matt Eberflus, who came from where? The same damn place Bill Polian did, Indianapolis. Why wouldn't you allow Ryan Poles to bring in an offensive guru from Kansas City, who you now seeing in Washington lighting it up with Sam Howe? who goes by the name of Eric Bieniemy? Why wouldn't you bring him in as a head coach? Why wouldn't you allow Ryan Poles to bring in Eric Bieniemy to help this young man, Justin Fields, succeed? I've been living in Chicago all my life, man. I'm 30 years old. I've never seen the Bears do anything right as an organization, man. Usually, this is how it goes when teams are in the midst of change or seeking to create a winning culture. They hire the president. The president hires the general manager. The general manager hires the head coach. And the president of football operations, the general manager, and the head coach work together to determine who the quarterback of the franchise will be. That's what they're supposed to do. However, in the case of this current regime, it was not done that way. McCaskey found his GM first, Ryan Pose, who went with Matt Eberflus at the recommendation of Bill Polian and the McCaskey family after their thorough search for a head coach. Then as soon as you, 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 ha you already had Justin Fields in place from the previous regime, is we all know Justin Fields was drafted by Ryan Pace, who is no longer with the organization and works in, in Atlanta's front office now. Like, what type of stuff is that? And then you, after you hire Poles and Eberflus, then you hire Kevin Warren, 
who I really feel sorry for in some respects, because Kevin Warren got a lot of shit to clean up. He do. And Justin Fields, in my opinion, even though I know the media has protected him in some regards, in a lot of regards, and I will say rightfully so, because it's kind of hard to evaluate him with the way that this organization is being run. But now you're starting to see a lot of people turn on him. All because he said, basically, the fact that he's being overcoached and that they're taking away some of his greatest assets and strengths. At some point, Bears fans have to ask themselves, do they really recognize the problem? In the last 30 years, the last 37 years, the Bears have had over 30 quarterbacks. Since 1993, the Green Bay Packers have only had three of them, two of which are going to the Hall of Fame. You know who they are. They need no introduction. Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers. And even though Caleb Williams is projected to be the number one overall pick in next year's draft, right? Let's think about something real quick. Even though he's projected to be the number one overall pick in next year's draft, why should he want to come here? Why should he? Why should he elect to forgo his senior year to come to the Chicago Bears in the event that they were to get the number one overall pick in next year's draft? And these fans really think that Caleb Williams won't return back to school. Well, I got news for you. Y'all remember Peyton Manning? When he was a junior at Tennessee in the New York Jets, another franchise that's known for killing a lot of quarterbacks, had the number one overall pick that year. You know what he did? He said, no, I'm good. I'm going to go back for my senior year at Tennessee. Declared after his senior year, went number one of the Indianapolis Colts. The rest is history. He has a bust in Canton now. Eli Manning, his brother, his younger brother, 2004, drafted number one overall by the San Diego Chargers. Father Archie was like, no, we don't want to go to that organization was able to finesse a trade and go to the New York Giants. Like, don't act like this, this shit don't happen. Don't act like people not paying attention. I know that this is an organization with a lot of rich history. I understand that. But just because they have a rich history, it don't mean they got a rich future. And you got to ask yourself as a Bears fan, what, what do you really have to look forward to in the future besides having high-ass draft picks? And the thing that really ticks me off is that you have so many of these fans saying, well, I'm going to take the time 
to watch Arizona Cardinals games and Carolina games because I want to tank for the top pick. Hey, newsflash, you was doing this shit last season. Ain't you tired? Now, I know real Bears fans who didn't expect this team to make the playoffs, but they at least expected to see some growth from some guys off this team, especially with Justin Fields being surrounded by talent on the outside at wide receiver and in the running backs department. But how can that talent manifest into solid productivity if the coaching staff ain't up to par? I mean, let's talk about it. Yeah. They did bring in Tremaine Edmonds, T.J. Edwards, Andrew Billings, who's been a solid addition. But it hasn't yielded anything through the first three weeks. But our main focus is on the quarterback. A young quarterback that I believe is trying to be the best that he can be in a situation that has not been the best situation and is very similar to situations of past Bears quarterbacks that came before him. Justin Fields has had two head coaches in his career, two Offensive coordinators. Great organizations in the NFL as well as sports as a whole, any major sports league you look at, great organizations are known for having stability at the top. This organization don't know how to do that. Ever since Lovey Smith was fired, you had Jay Cutler slide from Lovey Smith to Mark Tressman. Mark Tressman to John Fox. But then remember, you go from Phil Emery, who's the GM, when Lovey was fired, to Ryan Pace. Not to mention, Jay Cutler played for several different offensive coordinators during his time with the Bears. Then you have you have John Fox come in and you insert Mitch Trubisky. But Ryan Pace never hired John Fox. That was a guy that was recommended to him. And see, that's the shit that the Bears do that I don't like. They have a bad habit 
of hiring new GMs and trying to pair them with coaches that they really wasn't hiring or trying to hire. If you're not a football mind, if you're George McCaskey, you know you're not a football mind. You need to get real football people in the room who know they shit to do it for you. And you got to know how to get the hell out the way. That, my friends, is the problem when it comes to the Chicago Bears, a team that if not for the Denver Broncos getting annihilated by 50 points at the hands of the Miami Dolphins this past Sunday, they would be the biggest laughing stock in the NFL right now going into week four. But I want to share some final thoughts before I conclude this first episode of the State of Gave podcast. For those of you who don't know, as September soon comes to a close, this is National Suicide Prevention Month, a month where those within the mental health space seek to remember those lost to suicide as well as tend to those who have struggled with suicidal ideation and is a matter that is near and dear to my heart as I wanted to raise awareness about it and put it on your giving conscious as the viewer of the State of Gay podcast, as well as to honor some of the lost family and friends that I know who have succumbed to suicide recently over the last several years. I say all of this to ask you to check on your loved ones, check on your friends. There are oftentimes we as individuals talk to our friends and bullshit about our day-to-day experiences, yet we never truly know what our homies are going through, especially as men. And as we sit currently in the fourth quarter of 2023 with the holidays soon approaching, I think it's time that we do that in a world where so many of us are bombarded with so much. I know this personally because I've been through it during this time of year, having lost a family member in my life over a decade ago, as well as a friend, which brings me back to many of those memories and I know a lot of my friends have dealt with suicidal thoughts of their own and while I may not know some of those who take out the time to listen to this podcast as personally as I do others I want to let you know that you matter and while you may feel alone throughout your dark days that you're not alone in this world if you know someone who is struggling or is in a crisis or you may not know how to assist them, please inform them that help is available and have them call or text 988 or chat online with a trained crisis counselor at any time of the day or night at 988lifeline.org. I just wanted to share that, you know, to uplift and inspire some people who may be going through some mental health issues because I can personally relate. But as for where you can find me across social media, you can follow me on Twitter or X as we call it these days at what Gabe said. I'm always on there talking about, you know, hot topics across sports, 
entertainment, pop culture, including across Instagram at Gave Picks. That is P I X. I'll be back next week to share my thoughts on more hot storylines and topics to surface across the games we love, as well as entertainment. Once again, my name is Gabriel Wilkins. So long, everybody.